You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. And now we play the fight song. Welcome, everybody, to the 3DMs podcast. We are on episode 39, and we are going to be talking about Warlock patrons today, and if time allows, a little bit of Lovecraft. Just a little bit. So what you just heard would be a very probable backstory for somebody with uh, the undying Warlock patron. Um and so let's get into this. Uh, we're going to jump right in because we have a lot to talk about and not a lot of time to talk about it today. So whenever you're starting a game, and, you know, I highly recommend the Session Zero, as everybody does, um, and everybody's kind of... Oh, not everybody does, and this is why we recommend it. Yeah. Um, in the highly recommended Session Zero, uh, usually people will spitball, well, I want to play a fighter. All right, you're not on the camera. There you go. Because um, the game camera keeps twisting. Uh <laughs> You usually spitball ideas of what classes people want to play. You know, people, I want to play a fighter. Oh, well, I want to do ranger. Well, I want to do rogue. Well, why would you want to do ranger? It's useless. Um, these you conversations. Just play a fighter and be better. Yeah. These conversations come up all the time. And as a DM, it's up to you to craft a story for them. Um, you know, help them figure out places in your setting and uh, things to relate their backstory to and places to, you know, in whatever setting you're playing and however you want to. Work them. I also like, of course, the usual have your players uh, indicate at least one connection with another player character, but that's not necessarily strictly necessary. But the whole game changes when we come to Warlock. And this is something that I've seen uh, like a lot of comments about and a lot of discussions about and a lot of people asking for help. So we figured, hey, we'll take a crack at it. So when a player wants to play a warlock, uh, immediately as a DM, your work for that player is increased substantially because you have to figure out a whole lot of variables um, that only really exist with for them. For them, um, the only other class that really gets close is cleric. We had a discussion about this in the car, but the thing is that cleric usually doesn't have the same level of work unless they're one of the more obscure gods. Yeah. So let's dive right in. So. When you start out making a warlock, uh, the first thing that your player is going to do is going to pick their patron, uh, thanks to Xanathar's Guide to Everything. And I, there's a couple of unearthed arcanas, but we're not going to cover those today. Um, but with the addition of Xanathar's Guide to Everything, we now have a whopping total of six. Uh, that is the Fiend, the Archfey, the Celestial, the Hexblade, the Great Old One, and the Undying which is found in the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, everybody's least favorite but most useful book. Honestly, uh, we saw a lot of Lich Warlock patron homebrews, and people just kind of forgot that Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide existed. Oh, that's going to be an episode very soon, trust me. <laughs> Why Skag is still a special book. Undying is a 
it is a patron that exists, guys. Don't forget entirely about it. But let's hop into it. So a player wants to play Warlock. They are going to select one of their various patrons, and you now have a bunch of new work cut out for you. Who exactly is this patron? Do you have a list of various things uh, that in your setting, because a lot of people run their own homebrew setting and a lot of people do things differently. And if you're doing things differently, well, then they want to play an Archfey, somebody from the Feywild, uh, assuming you have a Feywild or a Feywild equivalent. Well, what is powerful enough in your version of the Feywild uh, that warrants somebody having a warlocks as servants rather than sending their own? Yes. Fae-like servants. Um, you know, what? how do your devils and demons function if they choose the fiend? Uh, how do your celestials function? You know, these are just, the, you know, the little top-of-the-hat questions, and we're going to try to cover all those. So from the top, player sits down at the table. I want to play a warlock, and I want to play a fiend. Well, that makes sense. This is the archetypical warlock. Yes. This uh, is your stock standard, uh, what people expect a warlock to be. Faustian bargain. It's in the player's handbook too, which is good because that's what the book I have on hand is. So, <laughs> so one second. All right. Yep, we're just gonna be kind of professional, have the book ready to rock here. So, Paul, if you uh, look under the fiend, can you rattle off the names at the bottom of the list? Fiend's powerful enough to forge a pact to include demon lords such as Demogorgon, Orcus, Frazurblu, and Baphomet. Archdevils such as Asmodeus, Dispater, Mephistopheles, and Belial, pit fiends and Baylors that are especially mighty, and of course, Ultraloths and the other lords of the Ugoloths. So, basically, any big name demonic force. So, if you want to start off by narrowing down which of those exist in your universe, and this is going to be a common theme for all of these, you have to figure out who's powerful enough to do these kind of things if you want them to be a big-name player or if you want to make your own. Um, me, personally, I'm going to highly recommend making your own because having a warlock in service to Asmodeus is ultimately going to end in tragedy, but we'll get to that. Uh, having any warlock that's in service to the Fiend is probably going to end in tragedy, Yeah, like more so than the other ones. So let's talk about the great part about having um, – a wide variety of patrons um, and what they can do for your campaign setting. Uh, the beauty of having a warlock in service to a unique patron and having that knowledge kind of eke out to the par party slowly over time as the story is told is that you are going to be able to make your world seem a lot bigger and like there's a lot more going on than what is directly in front of their, the players. Um, you know, other ways of doing this is like, you know, the newsboy on the corner and things like that. But this is just one tiny element that you can use to make your world seem much larger and much more engaging. And unlike the town crier, the newsboy, uh, the warlock patron is directly connected to one of your players. And probably because they're the warlock is sort of forced to do the bidding of their patron is going to have to listen to, to stories about their time at work. Yeah. Um. But this is going to reflect nicely and neatly for your party in term, you know, depending on the relationship that your warlock has with the rest of your party, your uh, warlock and by proxy, the patron is going to be a great way for you, the DM, to give information to the party that they normally wouldn't be able to get their hands on easily and wouldn't be normally so accessible. Um, but now because they have a sugar daddy of power you know, a patron of some sort uh, directly talking to a player, they can get their hands on more esoteric information and more uh, organically organically, and in less of a, well, here is conveniently placed scholar for an info dump. <laughs> uh, 
Or having to describe what a book says, basically. Yeah, or just, you know, reading a book to the, at them. Uh, so with The Fiend, um, we're going to use The Fiend for all our examples here, but we'll deviate from the path for uh, certain little examples. Asides. Um, so step one, you got your warlock. They've selected The Fiend. Uh, and this is common for all of them. How and why was this deal made? Um so as a DM, you actually have a lot of your, you have a lot at your disposal here when it doesn't seem like there is uh most players when they get a backstory, they when they choose a backstory it's usually just chosen for skills or neat little abilities like uh charlatan has some cool little stuff. Uh pirate is the other one I see for chosen for its stuff a decent amount of the time. Yeah, pirate has a very uh interesting flavor feat, but with warlock you can actually really determine how this person came to make a deal by choosing their backstory. Um the example that I used when we were putting this episode together was the city watch option from the Sword Coast Adventurers guide and there is a variant of it called investigator where you are basically a detective. Um and you could very easily be a warlock who was an investigator on whatever city you're from City Watch, and you find an artifact or a summoning ritual or, um, you know, whatever upteen ways you want your uh, warlock to encounter their new patron. And uh, because you, we're going to assume that your warlock is a clever little shit, um, has put it all together in order to summon or uh, reach out, make a bargain, however have you, with this entity. Now, if your player also, you know, has really good ideas, um, you know, making, as we discussed before, like a Faustian bargain um, or maybe, you know, not reading the fine print, the comic the comical idea of somebody dropping the scroll and it just rolls down the stairs you know um and keeps going uh which as an aside i really really wish that wizards would just put legalese as another language in uh, dungeons and dragons for selection but that's me just that's me using my soapbox uh legalese yeah well hey man being able to read a contract is uh definitely at times harder than reading mandarin but back to the point, sit down with your player, talk about why they would make a bargain or how they would have gotten themselves in this situation. And at from the top, um, have a pretty open dialogue with your players about the relationship and the personality of the patron. Um, I've always felt that whenever I have a warlock who has a, uh, a patron attached to them, they need to be able to... I, I really want them to be a part of the creative process. I don't like to just be the DM who says, okay, well, you chose the Fiend patron, so I'm going to choose which archdevil you're currently in service Yeah, to. and I'm going to cook up exactly how they work. I want them to flex their creative muscles a little bit, and then I'll put my own touches and my own little twists on it. But it needs to be a very cooperative thing if you want your warlock player to really get the most out of this uh, relationship and this benefit. I should know the uh, player's handbook actually does provide decent uh, leading questions to this, such as uh, the relationship with your patron, what your patron wants, so on and so forth. We're providing general advice here, um, mostly for the DM perspective rather than the player perspective. Yeah. Um, just try to let them be as as much a part of the design process as they want to be. And from there, you can definitely mesh with them a lot better on what their plans are. So that's – Part one, just for sitting down and discussing everything. Now, part two, um, 
you need to, once the decision, you know, for what the patron is going to be, how the patron is going to function and all that, you really need to take a good, hard look at what your uh, warlock, both your warlock's morality and their motivations and how a uh, how their patron is going to use them. There's a couple of tables that exist in Xanathar's that kind of uh, you can roll on to see what a relationship is between a warlock and a patron. Um, and also the player's handbook suggests a couple uh, ones of their own, which is friendly, antagonistic, uneasy or romantic, which I find hilarious personally. Uh, <laughs> no, nah, romantic is how we get a Zeus situation. Yeah. Look, my two powers are turning into animals to have sex with people and throwing lightning. I got two powers. Tell me what you want. All right. Just as an aside, do you think Zeus ever once said, taste my lightning to a girl? Probably. I mean, I'm not sure how well that uh, pun translates in Greek, but. Yeah, but still. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) We're a bit off topic. Sorry, here. I couldn't help myself. Um, so, uh, <laughs> okay, back to being an adult. So now that you have decided on possible motivations for your patron, um, you know, sit down and really kind of think about, you know, you got to put your head in the, obviously do the thing where you put yourself in the space of the patron. Always try to be the best manager, be the manager that you always wanted to have at a job. Basically look at your warlock work, look at your warlock skills and strengths and how they handle social encounters and use them to the best of their abilities. Yeah. Um, this is one thing I often provide as advice to games outside of Dungeons and Dragons, like Shadowrun or other games is nobody is going to hire somebody and send them on a job. They know they can't do. Yeah, and likewise, if you are working well, – a specific reason, obviously. But. Yeah. If you're working with a fiend patron here – we're going to use the fiend again as an example for a lot today. Um, and you have, again, just the cute, you know, innocent – you know, we're playing heavily into tropes here. But the innocent, uh, very – Rosy-cheeked. Rosy-cheeked, poor warlock who is, well, I have to work for the Dark Lord because he did save my mom from breast cancer. Shucks. Uh, while – the fiend being a dick is going to be a common and normal theme. Uh, at the same time, he's going to realize, okay, this deal has been struck and I need to get the best that I can out of this kid who doesn't have the stomach for much. Uh, so the, at the same time, a warlock is somebody who your patron almost certainly has a direct interest in. So they're not going to try to gross them out or scare them off until they can get their tendrils or claws or whatever into them. But on the flip side of that, the application of pressure is a very good way to work a uh, evil patron. And I'm going to expand on that very quickly. We only really have one listed good patron, which is the celestial, at least intended. Yeah. So most of the, this applies to most of the patrons. Yeah. Um, and the idea is this. Uh, we're going to get into great old one last, by the way. That is just its own bag of fucking worms. Uh Sometimes literally. But the idea of the Archfey is very – or not the Archfey, the uh, – Archfiend? Archfiend. Archfiend and Archfey um, using the same tactics makes a lot of sense. Uh, and we can also die, uh, dive into Undying and anybody else for this uh, when it comes to applying pressure on somebody. They don't necessarily twist their arm and offer uh, you know a cutoff of powers or – you're not going to cut off – you're not going to fire somebody because they refuse to make ammonia and bleach. 
you're going to tell them to do, go take the day off and they'll, you'll have a talk with them later once you realize that you're being an idiot and that was going to poison them. Yeah. But you're also going to slowly over time either expose them more to things and um, this is actually a great example from personal experience, a very anecdotal experience. Right. Um, Hit me. From when I was a young boy and I was uh, back in my cooking career. Um, when I started, my hands were very sensitive to heat and things of that nature, uh, you know, because over time in a kitchen, you develop calluses and other things that help you deal with hot shit and, you know, things that cut you and stuff. Like, I remember the first time I cut my hand, I was like, Arr! and now it's like I hack my hand regularly and I'm just like, whatever, damn. Um, and so my boss, Pete, did this to me. Because uh, I would work – sometimes I would work the line. Sometimes I would be doing the dishes. And when I would do the dishes, every 20 minutes he'd walk back and go, hey, Jake, run your hands under the hot water as long as you can. And I was like, all right, that's weird. But after a couple of weeks, you know, initially where putting my hands in the hot water was very painful, I had gotten used to it. My hands had adjusted. And by the slow – you know, if we – parallelization. Yes. If we parallel this to a patron making, you know – your player do something that they're uncomfortable with baby steps slowly build them. And you can have this great, you can make a great character arc with this for a player. And it's one of those things that at the end of the day where you and the player kind of sit back and look on everything, you can have a really great moment of like, damn, you really did come a long way, you know, from your first murder <laughs> to, uh, now look at me. Uh, I'm burning down villages. I'm burning down villages for funsies. Um, but getting back more on topic, so when it comes to setting up your pact, have your rules in place, have your patron have their ideals and what they want to accomplish, um, and this is where we'll bounce around a little bit. So The Fiend is very straightforward. Uh, the Fiend is kind of what you expect when you hear Warlock. You know, so. the, only, the only big difference is other than, you know, once you start using uh, Archfiend, like, uh, you know, certain high like demon princes and uh arch devils the big difference between the two is that obviously demons are more bestial and you know more crush kill destroy destroy and uh devils like to use legalese like to plan out there and a lot of kill destroy destroy a lot of long-winded uh you know very game of thrones you know style uh political manipulation happens with the devils you know, so once you get those traits in, locked in and stuff, uh, figure out what their plan is for the warlock, your little warlock. Because, I mean, their outside plan is probably more important to them. But you have to remember to the players, the most important thing is what immediately affects their characters. So now we jump to um, the Archfey. And the Archfey is very interesting. Can you uh, read your list of – Why, sure. I mean, if you insist, I guess. <laughs> the list of Archfey patrons because this is where – um, Archfey is probably the most neutral of all the options presented. It doesn't really swing a lot. Your patron is a lord or lady of the Fae. Beings of the sort include the Prince of Frost, Queen of Air and Darkness, uh, Ruler of the Gloaming Court, Titania of the Summer Court, her consort Oberon, the Green Lord, Hearsam, the Prince of Fools, and Ancient Hags. Well, I've never seen anyone use that last one. Yeah, Ancient Hag actually was the one that interested me the most because that's uh, – out of all the options they list in all the books for, you know, if we're going to go buy the book and what can be in charge of you, 
Hags are by far the weakest. Oh, um, yeah. They're like, what, a CR6 creature? Um, yeah, at worst, like CR7. Yeah, so it's like, one of these things is not like the others. Um, with Archfey, you can, again, uh, the option for having a good patron kind of exists. Patron exists, uh, but also evil patron, or as I like to run Archfey, very fickle. Um, and also changes sides and uh, decisions a lot regularly. Yes. Um, can be very temperamental to deal with. Uh, jumping into the Undying, this one is actually probably my favorite for uh, other than the great old one for players to choose because it has the option of having a much more direct impact on the world um, than most of these. Because the Undying is likely a presence still physically in the world. Yes, the Undying is likely a lich um, or a couple other things that are uh, present, available, and could easily be fought by Elminster if he really found the time to. <laughs> We're going to cover what happens if a patron dies because it's not in the book, and so we have a couple ideas. But uh, I love liches as a patron because they just make a very simple straightforward uh they're here in the world and you're acting as an agent of them for chaos uh moving down to celestial this is the good aligned warlock very happy they added it that's all i've got to say on that for right now then we've got hexblade which is uh your buddy's a weapon your patron is a weapon that uh gives you orders and shouts at you i have strong opinions about hexblade we're, we're going to cover it very briefly i think it's kind of dumb to tie your class powers into a single object that you have all right. That's all I'm going to say on the matter. So let's get back to the beginning. So once you now – we've gotten past the part where you've got their patron decided. You've got decided what that patron is going to affect um, and what that patron is – has as a plan for this warlock. You know, typically assuming that a patron is going to have multiple warlocks under – their wing under their influence and control, you can now start to craft a plan for how that they interact with this specific warlock. With a fiend, it's usually a combination of either horrible things or very mundane things. It's can you explain what you mean by how they plan to interact with? Um, for example, if for our audience, I know what you mean. Yes. But. Um, by interacting with them, uh, meaning are they a very hands-on? Is this a warlock who made a deal with them and they know is very trusted to do harm, bad, mean, uh, despicable things? Or is this someone who, you know, made, again, the very classic, you know, save my mom from death or, you know, save my loved one from death and I will be at your service uh, <clears throat> and kind of have a conscience until they build up you know, a moral callous, so to speak. Uh, once you have this in place and the communications in place, you need to figure out your boundaries for how they're going to function with the party. Because, I mean, while they can be a nagging, overbearing mother-in-law to your warlock, the rest of your party may not like that so much. Um, and Especially if they're one of the more wicked uh, patrons. I mean, most of your... PCs are probably not going to have a problem with, oh, I, I, I'm i a servant of the Archangels. That seems like something that most people would be, you know, okay oh, with. Because wow. It's basically a really? step away from being a cleric. <laughs> you don't but, say. You work for the angels. I wonder if you're a nice guy. Um, no, I'm actually secretly a dick. 
But um, and also, I guess we're going to do a little sidebar here. Um, communication between the patron and the warlock is another little fun thing you really get to play with. As yeah, a DM. How, does, how does your patron communicate with your warlock in question? How does they communicate with the PC? Because, I mean, obviously, as a GM, you can just say – you can just tell them what their patron's ordering them to do. But how is this message getting across? You know, and it gives you options for great – thematic uses of things uh for example you know it's often presented in the book uh, a dream or only a message they can see or messages in the clouds messages in the clouds a couple of things like that uh etched on trees so on and so forth yeah we're here to give you a couple other options um so option number one uh and this is one paul mentioned in the car uh is the mirror talking to you like you look in the mirror and the you in the mirror is talking to you yes, and it, telling you things. Um, this is delightfully creepy and I highly recommend using a bag of like as many of different ways of presenting messages as you can because it does add a certain element of healthy chaos to your game. Like uh, once your warlock kind of latches on to the fact that a message could be coming at any time, you know, they're, they quickly become very wary of, oh, Oh, shit. Okay. Um, and so you can use the speak or the mirror speaks back to you as an option. Um, another one that I'm a very big fan of and is hilarious in role play is only the warlock can see it standing there. Um, so the idea would be that uh, your patron is completely invisible and non-detectable by magic. Uh, this is It's it, probably a hallucination of some sort. Yeah, it's a hallucination that the uh, warlock is having. But the <laughs> but uh, considering that the patron is standing directly behind the fighter at this point. Uh, it looks like they're having a conversation at the fighter. Yeah, or the fighter is saying things and the, at the same time as the patron. And the warlock has to do some very funny shenanigans where uh, – Shut up, shut up. No, other you, shut up. That or, you know, trying to word uh, an answer to both questions. <laughs> so as the jig is not up. Yeah, depending on where the warlock is willing to talk with. We should talk about that also briefly in a bit is how willing – because, I mean, fighters, it's much easier. Wizards, much easier to, to mesh them into a party. But if you're saying, hey, I, uh, I've got somebody who's got my leash and they're giving me powers – most people are probably not going to be willing to interact with that person. Well, no, we can uh, we can actually tackle that right now. Um, so, yeah, the classic composition of free-spirited people. Uh, Warlock is on a tighter leash than a paladin, which is kind of funny to think about. Yeah, hilarious to think about considering how often paladins have been forced to fall. Um, Thank God that's not in this edition, honestly. Yeah. When it comes to Warlock, uh, I highly advise you as a DM talking to your player uh, to just run by them the idea that we, you know, you as the uh, DM and them as the player need to try to keep as much of this info close to the chest. Uh, I've never met anybody who had (laughs) – it's the real world, but uh, I I highly doubt we'd ever meet anybody who's like, yeah, by the way, so I made a deal with Satan. (laughs) Um, yeah, no, it was pretty straightforward. I sold my soul to the devil at the crossroads to play blues. Yep. I just, you know, I was like, you know what? I want to be the, I want to be the very best. Like no one ever was. And, uh, sold my soul between pallet town and, uh, Viridian city. And 
now I'm the ultimate trainer. And, and now here I am sitting up on the top of a mountain at the end of Pokemon Silver. <laughs> waiting. Just waiting for another teenage kid to come up and He goes on vacation in Pokemon Sun and Moon, by the way. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that. Um, but back to the main point, though, as we were. <laughs> okay. Regardless. Regardless. The point being that um, a deal made like that is not going to be something that's just going to spew out of your mouth. That You're not just going to word vomit that out. Again, unless you're playing a celestial patron, then you can just pretend you're some sort of cleric who doesn't use, you know, good armor. Yeah, who has Eldritch Blast. Um, Look, don't, don't ask questions. Uh, you can always customize it color and stuff. I always like to let my players describe what their Eldritch Blast looks like and, you know, how it's colored and shit like that. Um, but when it comes down to, you know, letting that story out, that needs to happen very organically. Um, another thing to consider, too, is how warlocks are framed in your setting. And maybe you can tell that I've watched Castlevania a couple of times recently, but um, definitely some, uh, you know, a way to cover it for certain would be, you know, considering that most of these options are undoubtedly evil. Um, even a warlock with a good heart and solid intentions is going to be regarded very, 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 very critically. And by critically, I mean violently by most civilized populations. Um, this is another thing just more for your worldview in general and how your world functions. Um, is I feel like a warlock would like a warlock execution happening wouldn't be, you know, Tuesday night at the Coliseum. Come on down and watch us hang another warlock. But it's also something that people are very familiar with and maybe even a part of the folklore of the region in the world, you know, where people, I mean, you go down to the crossroads, you can sell your soul to Asmodeus. Yep. You know, there's a lot of consideration to take and um, speak with a player about based on what a warlock's action and view is in the world. And there's enough evil archfey ones too that like, you know, I could see those not being trusted. And then when we get to the great old ones and it's like, okay, no, they just do really weird shit. And you definitely know, don't trust those guys. Uh, and the definition of Hexblade is look at how e- sweet my evil weapon is. <laughs> like <laughs> I have a, a totally rad sword. It's super evil. And sometimes it screams for the souls of small children, but yeah. look how fucking sweet. But it look is. how sweet it. Is. Yeah. No, all of those people are going to get hanged immediately. Um, <laughs> again, except for celestial, except for celestial. So think about how a warlock is going to be regarded and, uh, addressed in the world. Uh, that brings us to, uh, the next one, the undying, which, okay. Yeah. They're, they're also on the kill immediately list. Um, and when it comes to handling various details with the undying, um, probably going to be, I want to single this one out more than any other. Uh, they're the ones who do probably the most direct actions in the world. Yes, you're going to be running as an intern for your boss, the yeah. super lich. Um, whereas comparatively to the other ones, uh, you can handle esoteric topics. And this brings us to uh, another conversation you need to sit down and have with your warlock player. And that is how – and you can do this on your own, but I again, I always invite that conversation with a player if it's possible. How much uh, – how prevalent do you want the patron to be at all and what is going on? 
And I mean that meaning this. If somebody just wants to play Warlock for the ability. The powers. The powers. Have Eldritch Blast. Um, there's umpteen ways to make that happen. Finding an artifact. Um, you know, being the golden child of a cult to a certain being. Um, so on and so forth. There's, you know, a bunch of ways that they can just manifest these powers. And a patron does not have to be involved in the situation at all. But if they do really enjoy the idea of, you know, trying to serve their own moral compass while also, again, having somebody, you know, bossing them around. Hello, having, go kill these children for me. Yeah. Um, then you need to sit down and really figure out what lines they're comfortable with crossing. Otherwise, this character might just get really dark really quick. It can either get too dark or you might have to, you know, kill it because that's what the patron would do. Um uh, there, you know, it's just it's it's it making me think about how like I used to complain about how oh paladins I have to say lawful good or I'm gonna lose all my powers and I love how that is now literally like just a simple concern compared to what warlocks could go through if a DM is like being particularly mean. Yeah, no, it is absolutely terrifying the amount of things that can happen, and we'll jump into that in about three minutes. But to finish my thought on um. You know, patron services, make sure you have a conversation with your player and find out what they're very comfortable with, because there are players and I can think of several of my own who would be really stoked at the idea of having to go off and do assassination missions like solo and like kind of away from the party and seeing like how long can they get away with it and how long can they, you know, balance this act of like, hey, guys, I am your helpful friend. You know, yes, we adventure together and we do quests. And by the way, I had to behead the lady who runs the orphanage last night. Wait, I didn't Whoops. say that out loud. Okay, I did. Pretend you didn't hear that. Do over. Do over. I'm quick saving. Yeah. Oh, shit. No, I'm going to do quick load. Quick load. Quick load. Oh, <laughs> uh, shit. Uh, uh, find out how comfortable your player is with doing certain tasks, or you can even hit them with the catch-all, like, hey, uh, so the, uh, the patron is going to ask you to do things, and they might be uncomfortable at some point. Are you going to be okay with that? Um, just try to address boundaries. Yeah, it's as usual. Make sure you go over boundaries with your players. You know, because what you might think is really cool might be upsetting to somebody and, you know, your game is going to fall apart if you're just pissing your players off all the time because your your idea of how things should go doesn't match their ideas. So, um, you know, got to got to always try to meet in the middle. Oh, one thing I did want to say is Monster of the Week has an excellent uh idea for this, which is uh, the divine archetype has the boss from beyond power, which allows uh, the divine in question to ask their boss a question at the beginning of every uh, session slash mystery. And in response, uh, their boss wants them to do something easy, difficult, or terrible. Yeah, that actually is kind of the way. Depending on how badly they failed the role. Yeah, that is a very good way to look at things. Um, And also... You know, depending on how your patron takes shape, there's there's so many variables on this. Like, this is something that honestly we could sit here and talk about and like get every little detail bit wrung out of it like over four hours. We're just trying to keep it to as much of the basics as possible. Um, we're gonna hop into Hexblade really quick, and then we're gonna hop into Great Old One, and uh, then we're gonna talk about some esoterics. So, because we got about fifteen minutes of show left, so let's ramp it up. All right. Where Hexblade is unique uh, compared to the other three, because the other three you can pick various monsters of any type, um, you know, as long as they fit the, you know, Celestial Undying, Archfiend, 
uh, Archfey or Archfiend. Uh, so you mean the other four? Anyway. Yeah, four. I misspoke. I always forget about Undying. It's in my blind spot yeah, permanently. because it's, it's in Skag. Um, People forget Skag exists. So with Hexblade, uh, you are presented with a very unique opportunity in that you have a uh, weapon that basically does the talking. Um, there is the fluff that comes in Xanathar's that basically says the Raven Queen made these. And... Um, you know, therefore, by doing what the sword is telling you to do, you're actually furthering the Raven Queen's guilt, Raven Queen's goals. Um, I personally use the Raven Queen differently in my campaign setting than they have presented in Fifth Edition. So, jog on. I just don't use the Raven Queen. At all. Um, She's kind of boring, in my opinion. With sentient weapons, it's um, <laughs> you can have a lot of fun. Uh, ways to keep it interesting and unique is to have the uh, your weapon occasionally. Um, appear in different places. Uh, like it's always there to can be summoned at beck and call, but I've always found it very fun to mess around with the Hexblade where like the sword is either like rolling around on the floor or um, has a little bit of like a tiny amount of independence and action. Cause this is the one part of the, uh, this is the one part of the warlock equation where instead of it being, uh, you know, chain and collar, it is more symbiotic. The, Sword can't really get anywhere without you. Yeah, sword can't get anywhere without you, but you don't get powers without the sword. Um, so you can really play on that, and there's a lot of great character stuff you can do with a hexblade, uh, such as not wanting to use the weapon, um, you know, maybe keeping the weapon locked away or, you know, packed to the sword, for God's sakes, you know, keeping it in the extra dimension as far away from you as you can. You still get your Eldritch Blast and stuff, but maybe every now and again, you know, it just says, I'm not going to hang out in this extra dimensional space anymore. This sucks. Yeah, and pop out and, uh, you know, pop out of bad situations or maybe, it, you know, I'm thinking of um, puts the, a temporary shunt on your powers. The cursed items in third edition specifically had a weapon that would appear whenever you tried to draw another weapon. Yeah. Or just whenever you're in danger, it appears in your hands. Yeah. Of course, that weapon sucks, whereas the Hexblade weapon rocks. But y- y- you get what I'm trying to say here. You know, and then obvious, you know. Very obvious bit of advice is, you know, just the Hexblade weapon gets better over time or evolves or, you know, there's there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with Hexblade. I love Warlock, though. I'm biased. Um, you might want to lean a bit to your left. I can only hear you in one ear. Uh, weird. There you go. Um, so we're going to cover a couple bits more and then we're going to get on to great old ones and we're going to try to wrap up here because we are storming through today's show. Um and unfortunately, we have to leave early because there's a show right after us. But, you know, that's how she goes. Uh, so really quick, as an aside, because uh, I want to talk about alternate patrons very quickly. Um, there is no dragon patron. Which seems like the low-hanging fruit here. It's Dungeons and Dragons, for Christ's sake. Yeah. Like, I really thought about it for a minute. and I was, I'm just very surprised that there is no dragon uh, patron. Now, dragons are certainly ancient dragons are certainly powerful enough to grant powers. So. And more importantly, I mean, I could definitely see a ancient dragon literally checking off all of these except for uh, Great Old One and then Hexblade is kind of a weird half measure. Um, for example, um, well, Hexblade, you know, hey, it's the spirit of a dragon in a sword. Celestial, gold dragon, telling you what to do, chief. Archfey, green dragon slash any metallic dragon you want who hangs out in the Feywild, telling you what to do, chief. Undying, Dracolich, uh, fiend, red dragon. Or black dragons. Are or you. black dragons work too, but red dragons are the scary ones if you ask me. Um, yeah, the only one. Uh, and even then you can kind of tie them in with... Uh, 
ye old Hexblade and just have them, or not Hexblade, uh, Great Old One, and just be the things I've read and the things I've seen. The crazy dragons. You know, crazy dragons, which can be any color. Any one of them. Uh, any sheen of metal, any color. I'm sure somebody has made a dragon warlock uh, patron. Yeah, when I realized that, I wanted to look one up, but and that's probably going to be something I do a little later, but uh, as it currently stands. Our time crunch is getting unreal. So <laughs> Yes. Uh, all right, a couple of esoteric things that we thought about that we want to cover really quick. Uh, patrons are mortal. And so the important question that we thought about earlier was, what happens if a patron dies and ways to circumvent that? Um, so with all of them, there are definitely circumstances which can very easily be applied. Uh, as we said earlier, the undying, uh, you had a lich boss until one day suddenly. Elminster um, <laughs> decided to get around to his spring cleaning and killed off all the liches while banging the goddess of magic because he was written by a self-insert writer. Well, I don't like Elminster. I can't tell. Um there's a couple of interesting things that we're just going to cover briefly that you can do if you want to introduce this arc of uh, dead yeah. patron. The other uh, alternative to dead patrons, of course, is what if uh, your buddies, your warlock's friends decide to break him out of his pact? Yeah, which is another thing that we can, you know, um, but we got to be swift here. So um, when it comes to patron possibly dying, a um, couple of things you can do. Um, for one, I like to think that warlocks run on a battery that their patron just recharges. That's more of my own, how I like to think of it in my setting. Um, so if the patron dies, your powers don't immediately go away. Just you only have a finite amount of them now. But eventually, like, you know, you'll fire an Eldritch Blast and only like half of that laser beam will come out instead of like the full laser beam that you're used to. You know, and um, we can make this great little quest where it's, you know, kind of realizing what's happened to your patron. And you can do this a lot of fun stuff with that, you know, depending on the actual relationship between uh, warlock and patron. Um, now, as a resolution to this and something I want to cover more today, but time is limited. Uh, the similarities between warlock and uh, 3.5 paladin are kind of strong, but not implicitly mentioned in the fifth edition book. And that uh, correlates down to obviously they don't want you to take away powers. But Warlock is the one that would be easiest to take away. But, yeah, whereas Paladin has a couple of safeguards and you can immediately go to Oathbreaker, um, you instead just become a Warlock without powers. So you're uh, – Yeah, the thing is, is a Paladin without powers is still a fighter. Just a shit fighter. Like a fighter two or three levels below their actual level. Yeah, whereas a Warlock without any of this stuff – Is a – was it? Light armor – Light armor, simple weapon. <laughs> Light armor, having simple proficiency, rocket. D eight hit dice, having D eight hit dice, having no magic spell casting, wheeling and dealing. Son of a gun. With two skills, two With shit skills, two shit skills. Um, so stripping powers is something you definitely want to try to avoid, um, but can. It, Use your better judgment. If it's you a, think your players can handle it, it can definitely make for a very interesting RP session. Just try to have a, a solution sorted out. Now, um, the other side to that uh, as an easy solution is let's say the patron air quotation dies and uh, the warlock suddenly has to share a, a free agent. Yeah, is either a free agent or has to share a body with their uh, their patron. Shenanigans can ensue. But we've got a couple of minutes. So let's talk about the great old ones and uh, one Mr. Hippopotamus Lovecraft. Um, 
Sorry, we'd love to cover that more, and we're probably going to cover it in the Facebook after this or the Discord, but we've got f- seven minutes. Yep. So, so great old one. Uh, why they're my f- absolute favorite warlock. Uh, this introduces elements of uh, Lovecraftian stuff into your work, and they light are, elements. I mean, it's still Dungeons and Dragons after yeah. all. There is a lot that the Great Old One can really do to a campaign setting and to introductions of uh, various worldly th- uh, threats. I also like to think that the Great Old One, other unless you have a very specific uh, dynamic worked out between Warlock and Patron, uh, grants the most freedom to their players. So Probably. I mean, the thing is that generally speaking, they're not going to have an immediate set of goals. Like the Fiend is going to want you to do evil stuff for them. What the old... What the great old one's going to want you to do is going to be esoteric, weird, and sometimes nonsensical. Like some weeks it's going to ask you to stack a bunch of stones on top of each other. Other months it's going to ask you to, you know, bury somebody alive. You know, the next week uh, do a ritual in which you consume a massive amount of uh, gravel. You know, yeah, you eat gravel and then, you know, you you can just make them do weird stuff. You can make them do – um more culty related things. Um, there's various, various things you can do with them. Um, I want to talk though briefly about ways to do great old one that um, don't involve Cthulhu. Yes. Because everyone uses Cthulhu. Um, well, so the big thing I want to talk about with great old one and how it relates to everything else. This is the one, if you want to have a player that does a like, they want to have a light patron or maybe perhaps put themselves in a situation where they did not set out what they were getting into set out to make a deal. Um, Having somebody who was a researcher or something like this, this is a very, very Lovecraftian, like sage acolytes on. So yeah, sage acolyte, things like that, um, who were studying various works. And as time went on and they studied these works, they actually, accidentally entered into a pack with a great old one. That is a fantastic way to give a, uh, you know, have a player who has agency. They actively want to, you know, break free of their packs because nightmares, existential dread, cosmic horror, the feeling of being a small black speck in an endless uncaring universe. Do you mean a Friday night alone? Jesus. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But as I was saying, there is uh, – that's a pretty easy way to enter into a contract and not have much of a vicious uh, resolution, so to speak, um, where it's possibly a negative encounter. God, I wish we had more time to talk. There's so much I want to talk about with this. Um, we're not even going to get to the uh, the point where we're going to talk about how a great old one is going to ask you to uh, – not, not a great old one. A great old one is going to specifically have you uh, – uh, try to bring it into the world. Yeah, no, there is. Ugh. There's star spawn. There's so much great stuff with. Uh, but time is short. Let's make this quick. Okay. Yeah. Let's hit some. Uh, let's hit some final important notes here with running warlock patrons. Uh, another thing you can do with great old one that is unique to every other option is having uh, the introduction of certain monsters that can serve a very old one esque. Uh, Packed without necessarily being uh, being Cthulhu. A, yeah, so 
I'm going to rattle off a couple of monsters really quick that can kind of serve Lovecraftian themes. It can easily be a servant for a much, much bigger uh, patron daddy. Um, the first one I'm going to rattle off is the Beholder. Yeah. I mean, well, Beholders don't like serving people. but They don't, but you can always twist them to, you know, your own needs. You they're know? easy to manipulate if yeah. you're powerful. Um, mind flares, obviously. Mind flares are very obvious. I mean – Honestly, um, I love – let me just get this one out really quick too. Uh, Elder Brains as a great old one patron. That could work, yeah. M- pretty effective. Um, a, lot of, a lot of gathering knowledge, a lot of reconnaissance, and a lot of uh, tell the mind flayers to attack here. And, you know, just, I don't know, drinking whiskey and trying to forget about it later. Uh, <laughs> as the mind flayers burn down the town around you. Slods also fit into this pretty well. They're uh, not very much in the Lovecraftian theme, but they're very alien. They're very alien and they're, you know, trying to enter this realm of existence to plant it. eggs in people by hitting them with their claws. Stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, trying to think. Aboleths. Aboleths. Ancient aboleths are also great. Um, yes. If great you do – when if a player selects a great old one, an aboleth is a fantastic recommendation to make as a patron. Um, merely Specifically for, an ancient aboleth. Uh, if you want them to have 14. that crossing the line of actually killing – their patron at some point. That is a great story arc that can be told with that player. Um, shit, one minute to go. Nyarlathlotep. Nyarlathlotep. The Swedish yeah. uh, patron. He's going to ask you to go to Ikea and assemble furniture out of human bones. <laughs> uh, that's an inside joke we have in the car. Um, rattle off the great old ones who are more human in characteristics. Well, Nerlathotep and uh, Hastur are the two that immediately leap to mind. Uh, There's one more. There's one more. Oh, geez. Who am I forgetting? Uh, uh, not Cthulhu. That's the flaming one. Um, <laughs> not flaming gaze and flaming on fire. Kios? Uh, Kios is the uh, Dungeons and Dragons, which is the worm that walks, which is also a great, great old one patron. Yeah. Uh, also the name of a pretty good band. I recommend it. Um, use them if you want to have a more uh, rational or human feeling great old one and you're not good at doing the alien stuff. Eek, that was a sprint through a topic that could easily be We could have filled at least 20 minutes of that normally. Ugh. Anyway, sorry about that, guys. All right. Well, that's our time for today. Um, if you want to hear more about this, uh, message us here on Facebook. Uh, on the if, Discord. It's or, been kind of uh, empty recently, Yeah, well, I mean, my computer is currently broken, so I haven't been there to populate. Um, follow If you enjoy the show, uh, you can find us on anywhere you can find podcasts except for Spotify. Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Uh, 3DM, spelled the old-fashioned way. That's T-H-R-E-E-D-M-S uh, podcast. Uh, if you liked our show, please uh Throw us a like on Facebook. Throw us a like on Facebook. Leave us a nice follow and review on, uh, you know, five stars on Apple. And if you have any ideas for what you'd like to hear from us in the future, because we're starting to run out of ideas. uh, We're getting to the esoteric topics now. Yeah, please uh, leave us with anything you want. Uh, But for today's show, I'm Jake. I'm Paul. And uh, this has been three DMs, the two of us. Yes. And always listen the voice in the back of your head unless you're a fighter then just hit shit with a sword bye-bye